G'day everyone, welcome back to The Extras, my name is Jack. And I'm Sam. Sam, we are here recording this on the first day of summer. How are you doing at the start of this new season? I'm very excited because straight after this, Jack, I'm actually going to go home and uh, we put up our Christmas tree on the 1st of December. Nice. I'm very excited. I had a little girl in bed. Uh, checked on her after Bible study last night, actually, quite late at night. And I thought, yeah, you're always asleep. Lucy's wide awake. And uh, I said, uh, everything all right? And she said, uh, I said, if we were too noisy for you, she said, no, I'm just so excited because we're putting up our Christmas tree tomorrow. And so oh, wow. here oh, we are. Right. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm keen. It's nice and warm. It's, the sun is shining for the first time in, I don't know, a month. So yeah. It's lovely. Timing. That's right. No, yeah. it's good. We had uh, a great Sunday uh, at church, in the Word, in the Book of Romans. For those who need a reminder or maybe weren't there, uh, what were we looking at in the Book of Romans? Look, we're, we're sort of right in the, in the midst of uh, Romans 10 and 11, and uh, we're looking at why... The, the, the big question, I guess, is, is why aren't some people saved when they hear, hear the message about Jesus? Mm. And uh, Paul explores that in, sen- in the sense of uh, the Jewish nation. Why weren't they... Um, uh, why didn't they receive it? And, and you know, it was not because they hadn't heard. It's not because they didn't understood. Nor was it because God has rejected them. But again, Paul reminds us of God's sovereignty in salvation, mm. um, saving both Jews and Gentiles through the the preaching of the gospel at His sovereign uh, hand. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, good summary. Thank you. And yeah, it's a. I mean, I ran a few question times with you, and I think I said each time it's it's a challenging passage. Like I think we feel the. The, the challenges of God's word at this point. We're talking, you know, people hearing or not hearing. We're people talking, people being hardened. Like lots of questions about those, both those things that have come in. So we're going to get into a bunch of them now. Yeah. Before that, one question about your your intro, Sam. So when you kicked off a sermon, you're talking about how, as a keen young Christian, you were just wondering why aren't other people kind of getting on board with this. Mm. One person's asked. Does someone's walk with God always look the way Sam's thinks? Sam's was uh, enthusiastic and driven. I didn't feel that way. It took a very long time for me. Yeah, I mean, sure. No is the short answer. Not <laughs> not everybody's uh, walk looks the same. Of, of course not. Um, I, I was making the observation that in myself, I was so taken by the gospel message, and I I can remember thinking, how have I gone this long without hearing it? Mm. Um, that when I uh, so I wanted to tell everybody that mm. that was my sort of uh, pro- thinking there um, sure not everybody is like that uh, I do note however that for people who come to faith um, from non-Christian backgrounds there is a pattern I think that they are some of the keenest evangelists because uh, they now, again there are keen evangelists from all walks of life but often I, I notice a pattern that mm. um, new Christians who've come to faith often are particularly keen evangelists because they see the change the gospel has made for them. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Not everyone, but for lots of us that is the case. Yeah. Yep. All yep. right. Our first kind of big chunk of questions mm. are getting into some of the details of the, the verses in front of us. So if right. you're there listening, it would be great to have the Bible open in front of you if you can. Yep. Yep. Romans 10, 14 is where we, we pick it up. Uh, yep. Someone's asked us, so that verse, verse 14 talks about, you know, how can they believe if they haven't heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Mm. Someone's asked, what does it mean to preach? We normally use that word for sermons and so on. What's a more colloquial translation of that word preach? Yeah, I mean, the word here is is a, a word that just means declare or proclaim. Um, share the message is, is, a, is, a, is a simple uh, um, kind of colloquial translation of that, isn't it? Um, mm. Now that could be through a sermon that um, now, and we typically call that preaching. But I think in a in a biblical kind of thing, 
evangelism, you know, in the public square, you know, as, as Paul and the apostles made their way throughout the, the ancient world, that was preaching, you know, they, yeah. they were, because uh, what were they doing? They were just declaring the message publicly mm. uh, so that people could hear. And so I think in that sense, anytime that you, you share the message about Jesus with somebody um, so that they can understand it, you're, you're preaching. You're not sure you're not giving a sermon and don't 30 minute monologue. That, that's probably not the best <laughs> way to uh, help your friend come to faith in a, in a one-to-one context. Yeah. Uh, but you are preaching if you declare. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Helpful. All right. Uh, still going on those kinds of ideas. Someone else has asked, uh, how does uh, sending the message fit? You know, how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Mm. How does sending the message fit when the wrath of God has already been revealed against all mankind? Don't people know already? Yeah. Um I think that's taking us back to Romans chapter 1, which is mm. uh, where I think we looked at, I think at least in one of the question times or somewhere on Sunday. Anyway, yeah. um, they're all blurring into one at, <laughs> at this point of the week. But Romans 1 has two things going on. In Romans 1, 16 and 17, um, the gospel is revealing God's righteousness. So as the gospel message goes, God's righteousness is made known. And then that righteousness is through faith in Jesus Christ to everyone who believes. Uh, But then straight away in chapter 1, verse 18, Paul also makes the point that the wrath of God is being revealed. Um, I do wonder, though, if and what he means by that is that as God hands people over to their sin, his wrath is already being poured out. It's not Mm. it's not it is going to come on judgment day on the final day. um, But it's even now God is, is, is judging people by handing them over to their to their sin. And that's Romans 1, 18. Yeah. Um. I think that revelation um, is slightly different to the revelation of the gospel. The revelation of the gospel is as it is preached, as we were just talking about. Mm. Um, that one is, is as God does something, as he hands people over. And and they may not, those who are being handed over to their own sin may not actually see or perceive that's what's happening to them. Um, but those with eyes to see really will. Um, yeah. And so I can see that as, God, as, as people uh, just are given over to, to their depraved lifestyle and, and experience the brokenness and the pain that comes with that. I can see God's judgment in that. That person might actually be having the time of their life at one level. Um, although yeah. deep down, I think most people do know that those things are destructive and bad for them. But mm. yeah, I think that there's a bit of a, um, two different versions of, of revelation going on there. Does that, does that help? Yeah. And I think that's there in Romans one as well, right? Cause it's those who, having the wrath of God revealed against them. They suppress the truth by their wickedness and God gives them over to that and their hearts are darkened, their minds become futile. You have that kind of downward spiral that those who are being handed over don't realize it because they're They're suppressing the truth and not perceiving what's going on to them. Um, And so they need that. They need the, they need the preached word of revelation, both of our sinfulness and of God's, righteousness in Christ to, to um, yeah, see a change there. Yeah, so sending the message fits really well with that because people are under the wrath of God. That's exactly why they need to hear the, the Savior who they can call on to Precisely. be saved by. Yeah. Yep, yep. All right, we'll keep going. Uh, yep. I'm still on this kind of theme. Someone's asked, do we really need to send people to preach? Can't God call whoever he wants to faith through dreams or visions or something? Mm. Great question. Um, I was surprised that one didn't didn't get up on a Sunday. I, I kind of ex- I was sort of anticipating and preparing for that one. Um, I, I think it's a it's a it's a really natural question that we ask. We think surely God is God and He can do what He wants, and that is absolutely true. God mm. is God, um, and yet what we read in this passage is is that preaching on the lips of humans is God's chosen means. God yeah. can do whatever He wants. But what he's chosen to do is to use human preachers. And so I take it, we need to take that seriously. Um, 
And, and Romans uh, 10 and 11 are, are passages that, that really inform that. You know, Paul's question of, he, he, he's asking these rhetorical questions. How will they hear if nobody goes to preach, if nobody sends people? I don't think the answer is, oh, well, that, like, I don't think we're meant to think, oh, it's fine. They'll just get a vision. That's yeah. the answer. Um, <laughs> the point is, yeah. no, no, we've got to send them. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, now then people say things like, well, hang on, I hear stories of people in the Middle East getting visions and becoming Christians. And it's really interesting. I had a fascinating conversation with um, uh, Nima, who used to be uh, on team uh, here at Carlingford, uh, is now in the US. Uh, One of doing, our mission partners. Doing, yeah. doing mission work mm. amongst uh, Iranian people in, uh, in California. Uh, and one of the things that Nima helped me understand was that um, very rarely, in fact, he, I remember him saying he couldn't think of an instance of, of it being this way, that when people get visions, they certainly get visions, but the vision doesn't include the gospel. Mm. What the vision includes is, hey, go to this house and talk to this dude because he's a Christian and because Christians are all underground at that point, there's no big sign saying all welcome. Yeah. Um, and the vision says, hey, and so they rock up and they say, hey, someone told me in a dream to come and speak to you. Do you have a message for me? Mm. And the person tells them the gospel. And that, that's an incredible thing. But God doesn't bypass his chosen method of the gospel going forward on the lips of a preacher, even though he uses something supernatural in order to bring that person uh, into context, contact with the preacher. So I found that really instructive. Um, now, you might then text in and say, Sam, I've got a different story. Praise the Lord. God can do what he wants. But it is, it is really instructive to go, what God has said in Scripture is that this is the normal way the message goes. Yeah. Yeah, very, very well said. Nice mm-hmm. one. All right, we'll keep moving on. Uh, someone's asked, so, I mean, we're still in that chunk, uh, chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, and it ends with that, that quote, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Mm. Someone's asked, why beautiful feet? Why not another body part? <laughs> yeah, um, uh, good good question. Um, I think it is, uh, it's a quote from Isaiah, uh, and, and, and the quote actually reads, you know, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those mm. who bring good news. And I take it the point is, um, the person has travelled up into the mountain territory in order to declare the news of what's happening down on the ground. Um, yeah. feet, feet carry people, um, and people mm. have been sent. And so I think... At one level, it's it's that simple um, in terms of they are the bit of our body that helps us on the journey. Yeah. Um, and I think God's work here is all about sending people elsewhere with the news uh, of Jesus. Yeah. yeah, very good. All right, coming down to verse 18 this time. Uh, Paul quotes Psalm 19 in this verse. Uh, I'll, I'll read the question. So Paul quoted Psalm 19 as evidence that Israel had heard the gospel. Uh, this question asker says, when I go back to read Psalm 19, that verse seems to be talking about how the heavens and God's creation declare God's glory, natural revelation, rather than a particular person preaching the gospel, special revelation. I know that Paul's way of understanding scripture is faithful, so can you show me how he's not just taking this verse out of context? I'm a bit confused. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> I, I wrestled with this through, through quite a bit, and there's... Mm. Um, you know, it's one of the one of the bits of the uh, of the passage that gets the commentators um, into a bit of a bind as well. They they try and work mm. working that through. Sure. Um, I, I made the comment on Sunday that I, I think Paul is doing a little bit of hyperbole here, um, um, but I think um, how how is he likening what's going on to what happens um, through creation? Psalm nineteen says that through creation, everyone has heard. Um, there, there's nowhere that creation's voice doesn't travel to and so everybody has heard the general revelation that God is there he is the maker um, and therefore owes glory and honor to God Mm. Um, Paul I think he's making when he's talking about the Jews here he's saying 
there's nowhere that the message hasn't gone within the Jewish world. Um, and so in the same way that creation's gone to everyone, because of the preaching of the message, it's gone to everybody in, in the Jewish kind of world, I think, is, is um, the, the kind of sphere mm. that Paul has in, in mind here. And so I think he's really r- ramping home. No Jew can say, oh, God, I never heard. Yeah. No, they've all heard, um, but they've rejected it. And yeah. I think that's, that's how he's... So he's, he, he, Psalm 19 is illustrative of what has happened with the preaching of the gospel. Yeah, so he's sort of appealing to that verse by analogy by rather analogy. than by saying the exact same thing is happening. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'm sure there's lots more, you know, there's sounds like there's some complex arguments there, but that yep. that's helpful, yeah. I yep. mean, that, that I, if you want to read something, John Stott's little piece on that question in his Bible Speaks Today commentary on Romans, um, I found quite quite helpful um, if you want to go and read something a bit more detailed. Yeah, great. We'll keep going. Uh, coming down into chapter 11 and verse 4, uh, when God says, I have reserved myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal, isn't he really saying he'll save everyone who doesn't bow their knee to Baal? Traditionally, he uses the number seven to symbolize full and completeness. So 7,000 would be like a thousand times completeness. Mm. Yeah, great. I mean, love, I love the, 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 the um, question here, um, particularly trying to think through the, some of that um, significance of numbers um, throughout the Bible. And you're absolutely right. Seven is a, is a kind of you know, a number for the f- the fullness or the whole of something. Mm. Um, what's going on here? I think I'd say two things about the, the question. Um, first, I'd say it a little stronger. In, it's not just that God doesn't save, God saves people who don't bow the knee to Baal. It's a bit stronger than that. It's God reserves these people mm. so that they won't bow the knee to Baal. So it's, it's actually a bit stronger than him just looking around, who didn't bow to Baal, I'll save them. It's actually keeping these people for himself. Yeah, it's the, re- the remnant chosen the, by grace. That's It's all about the cho- God's uh, sovereign choice of the remnant. Um, the number 7,000, I mean, you and I were wrestling with this a little bit before. Mm. I, I think as far as I could say is, is maybe. <laughs> um, mm. And I'd say that for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, um, I take it it was a number of people that, mm. um, that, that God... Saved and, and quite a big number at that. Like Elijah's claim is, I'm the only one left, yeah. you know, very dramatic. And he's like, no, I got 7,000, man. Mm. Um, so I take it there had to be a number of people, otherwise, it's just not true. Um, mm. And so, um, and if, and why, why, why think any number other than the number that the text has, has given me here? Yeah. Um, could it be a, a, an illustrative number? Uh, maybe, I think, is, mm. is the possibility here. I'd be more convinced if this were apocalyptic literature, I, I think I'd say, like if, if we were reading Daniel or yeah. uh, Revelation, you know, in that apocalyptic genre where numbers really do have a much more heightened me- heightened meaning. Uh, it's in 1 Kings, uh, a little bit more of a sort of narrative section. So maybe, mm. but maybe not. Yeah, is that? I don't know. I feel like I'm sitting on the fence there, but I, I don't know is the short short answer. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fine. Like. Like you said, I mean, this is historical narrative, so the number really happened. Yeah. I, I think I also think, given that God made this choice, like, God's reserved this remnant, mm. he could have picked any number he wanted, right? Yes. The fact that 7,000 is the number yeah. he lands on, and in the whole history of the Bible, like, yeah, there's significance to that number, so yeah. I think God, like, I think the point is, I mean, it makes sense just in the context, like, yeah. God's saying, there's a lot of people, like, yeah. Elijah, you think you're the one, mm. 7,000, it is a big number, and yeah, I think it has a little bit of that connotation of 
fullness like yeah yep. there's a big full remnant yep. don't freak out Elijah so yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. I think there's something there potentially yeah yeah you're, yeah. you're maybe I'm, I'm happy with that it's always <laughs> you never want to be too dogmatic on these number things because yeah. there's a lot of numbers in the bible like, there's a lot of other numbers in kings that aren't you know that's, that's round it. symbolic numbers so you know that's yeah. right. could just be the kind of this is the one that happens to line up with our kind of pattern and there's a lot of other numbers that don't yeah anyway yeah let's go with maybe i like that okay nice, nice. <laughs> uh, we'll keep going uh next question in verse seven it says what israel sought so earnestly it did not obtain but the elect did mm. so my ears that sounds like israel genuinely seeking to be saved yet those others were hardened by god um sounds like god is going against the grain there so mm. what is it that is earnest about what the Israelites seek. Are they not earnestly seeking salvation and then being hardened? Yeah, I mean, it, thanks for this question. This is really perceptive, but I, I think I would push back and say um, there is an earnestness about what they're doing. But if can you remember back to last week's passage, um, chapter 9, verse 30, 31, 32, and the issue was Israel. They were pursuing God, but do you remember chapter 9, verse 32? They pursued God not by faith, but as if it were by works. And so, and the problem there, as we explored in last week's passage, was um, that effectively they set up their own approach to God. Mm. Zealous, yeah, totally, uh, but misguided and wrong. And, yeah. uh, and, and actually, um, they refused to submit to God's righteousness, which is actually an act of defiance and sinfulness uh, that, um, you know, and so chapter 10, verse 3, uh, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Um, That's actually, like, there's zeal there and they're genuinely seeking God, but they're doing it in a self-centered, self-glorifying and anti-God way. Mm. And so, yes, they're earnest about it, but they are really wrong and actually hugely um, uh, like in an autonomous f- failing to honour God kind of way yeah and uh, and that is a problem yeah totally yeah and the more earnestly you seek it the bigger a problem it is yeah sense. like I gave the analogy when I preached on this last week that if you want to drive to Newcastle and your car is pointed south down the Hume Highway, <laughs> like revving the engine harder is not going to get you where you want to go. No. Like, the, like the harder you push the car at that point, the faster you're going away from That's where right. you actually want to be, right? That's so a great analogy. the harder you pursue God the wrong way, yeah. the greater the offense against his infinite totally. glory and dignity. So the totally. fact that the Israelites were so earnestly seeking it by wanting to prove how great they were by obeying the law. That's a massive pride, sinful problem. And so we've got to read what happens in chapter 11 then in light of that. So when if you just read chapter 11, verse 7, it sounds like God's really mean. Israel sought it really earnestly, but God didn't let them. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's actually, it's talking, the earnestness there is is like the zeal back in chapter 10. Yeah. Um, And it's hugely mistaken and, and, uh, yeah, dishonoring of God the way that they're approaching. So to be honest, to be earnest in your rejection of God is a real problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. All right. Uh, last kind of these these details in the text questions. Verse 8, uh, someone's saying, if God gave them a spirit of stupor, which is what he says, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, uh, how can God then hold Israel responsible for not seeing? Uh, yeah, um... I saw this one and I was like, ah, that old chestnut. <laughs> I feel like we, we, we keep coming into this one. And this is this is the, the classic question that we, we keep um, engaging with in, in this. 
um, God's sovereignty, human responsibility. Like um, it's the question that Paul raises, right? Like Romans nine nineteen. You know, if, if why does God still blame me? Who's able to resist His will? Like, yeah, it is the question. That is the question, <laughs> and and the answer is, who are you to talk back to God? <laughs> yeah, um, and, and uh, I mean, this is what we explored both in our predestination special and, mm. and a couple of times over this podcast. I don't want to kind of dwell on it for too long today, mm. uh, but to say that. Um, uh, God, nobody is hardened who didn't want that for themselves, who, who, mm. who wasn't already opposed to God. Um, and, uh, and nobody will say that was not fair. What you did to me, God. Um, yeah. Uh, if you want to dig in again, we did three uh, specials on predestination. Mm. Uh, they're up on the website, on the resources page, uh, go and have a, a dig into those. Hopefully you can, um, go a bit, a bit harder on that one. If, if you, if you want some more on that. Yeah. Nice. Let's leave it there for now. Yeah. All right. Next chunk of questions are, I guess, getting into some of these issues we've already raised, but trying to drill a bit deeper into them. So a few, a few questions about this whole first part about, you know, why, uh, how can they hear without preachers? How can they preach without sin? All of that. Uh, so one question, what does God do with those preachers who are sent, but who end up actually warping the word mm. of God? They're, they're sent, but then they, they preach words that are wrong or they, they're, they're people who are imperfect. Fantastic question. I mean, and that happens, right? Mm. Um, and the Bible recognizes that. And there's a couple of things. I mean, James chapter 3 says, not many of you should presume to be teachers because those who teach will be judged more harshly. So yeah. recognize that God it takes the teaching and preaching of his word very seriously and uh, will hold to account those who uh, who take that role and so I, I often feel you know as I stand up to preach I, this is no small thing that I'm doing and, mm. I, and I want to uh, work harder and partly why I appreciate question time because it's a chance to keep coming back to the Bible and go are we saying what God is saying mm. um, we don't want to hear Sam Russell's theology uh, unless Sam Russell's theology is in line with scripture Yeah, um, and so that that's really important to say um, but, uh, but another passage to go to is uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 um, and uh, you pick that up at verse 1, 2 Peter 2, verse 1. There were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, and they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. <laughs> so it's around the sovereignty of God, right? Mm. Um, bringing swift destruction on themselves, and many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they've made up, their condemnation has long been hanging over them. Their destruction has not been sleeping. Uh, it goes on to say that God, just like he didn't spare um, angels when they sinned, he will not spare um, false teachers of, who are bold and arrogant uh, in this kind of way. Mm. They will be, chapter 2, verse 13, paid back with harm uh, with harm for the harm that they've done. Yeah, and severe so, words reserved for those who would teach. Yeah, on. so... Um, what does God do with them uh, is the question here. I think mm. 2 Peter 2 is the answer. Yeah. God pays them back. And uh, so watch yourself. If you have a teaching role around our around our church, you're teaching uh, in youth, kids, growth groups, uh, doing one-to-ones with somebody, whatever you're, you might have, a whole range of teaching roles, um, gee, be careful. Um, mm. Teach God's word and, and nothing else. Yeah, well said. Next one. All right. Uh, how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard. That's what Romans ten fourteen says. Someone's mm. asked, are those who have honestly not heard the message able to be saved? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think we want to say, I want to say a couple of things here. Um, one, I feel the, 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 the tension in this question and it just mm. makes me want to go and tell more people. Um, and yeah. if you're feeling it, I think the first thing to say is, 
often we can we, we can use this as a as a kind of um, defense mechanism to say, well, I don't have to respond to God because look, what about those who haven't heard? Um, actually, the right response to this question is, yeah, what about those who haven't heard? Um, and and mm. Paul's thing is, well, go be beautiful feet, go and tell them we need we need more gospel preachers, more people going out. Yeah. Um, so, secondly, to recognize if if you're asking this question, you're not one of those. You have heard even in this podcast that Jesus is Lord, that he died for you and uh, you need to turn and repent and call on his name and be saved. Uh, so you're not one of those who hasn't heard. So again, don't use this as a defeater. You, you've heard. Mm. Um, third one, what, well, what about them? Um, I think it comes back to that, that we actually already talked about Psalm 19 um, in this episode. And uh, Psalm 19 says that actually God, a knowledge of God um, through creation is available um, to all. Uh, and it is enough uh, that that all are condemned um, because God is God is clear um, and it's been made plain to them, uh, but they um, they suppress that truth. Romans chapter one um, and uh, and don't acknowledge God, um, and so nobody will be able to say on that day, God, this wasn't fair. Um, how could they be saved? Well, they can be saved if if we go and tell them. So let's kind of rally the troops for world mission. And uh, let, let's go. I think is my answer. Yeah. Do you have anything to add? To oh, that? like I think we need to feel the urgent necessity of that. Yeah. Like I think the reality is yes. Like in the normal course of events, those people who are, you know, adults who have lived a life of rebelling against God, who have all that they need in creation to know that God is there and He's powerful, mm. and yet still have rejected Him and lived their own way, which is every human being on the planet. Mm. Paul's saying about those people, they they cannot believe unless they hear, and they mm. can't hear unless someone goes. So yes, go. Go and send, you know, send and go and preach. Like that, like we're not meant to come to that and just philosophize about it yeah. and um, just kind of ask the what if. Like Paul, Paul gets the question and his answer yeah. is go. Like yeah. go and be beautiful feet, as you said. Yeah, yeah. so feel the weight of that. Yeah, yeah. We, we must. Yeah, totally. Um, to push us even further, someone else has asked, uh, how can we understand this passage for people who can't comprehend and accept the gospel? Mm. For example, people with certain disabilities or babies. Yeah, great question. Um, I'd lo- love to hear your thoughts on this as well, Jack. But I think I, I would say um, this whole section on-, on Romans 9 to 11 comes out of what Paul says in Romans 8 is that God chose before the creation of the world and predestined and foreknew those he would call and justify and save and glorify. Um, mm. And so, uh, and I take it that that number includes uh, all kinds of people, whether they are um, have an intellectual disability or uh, are babies who, who don't last long in, the, in this world and, and, and uh, are lost to death um, God knows his elect and uh, yeah, will save them and, and the mm. second thing I think I would say is in the question there, sometimes I think we, we can and especially in our tribe of Christianity we, we can I think overemphasize the sort of cerebral nature of faith in terms of its, its um, yeah, focus on understanding and obviously Christians can understand in God and, and God's Holy Spirit does um, enable us to have rich understanding but um, childlike trust is the way that Jesus describes salvation mm. uh, faith like a child uh, and so I, I don't think I think there are all kinds of people with all kinds of intellectual disabilities and ages who, who can have a childlike trust in the Lord um, and uh, and I, I think I've personally seen some beautiful examples of that mm. yeah Jesus said let the little ones come to me. Don't hinder them. The kingdom yeah. of God belongs to such as these. And, you know, that's 
just as an aside, you know, we baptize children at our church because uh, mm. we think that's a beautiful picture over the fact that God is able to work even in mm. the, uh, the littlest of infants. Um, yeah. It's not that that's the guarantee for every child, but it's possible. And, you know, you see John the Baptist leaps in his mother's womb when, mm. you know, Mary walks into the building with Jesus because the Holy Spirit is able to, you know, actively yeah. work a response, even in an embryo, to yeah. the Son of God. Like, yeah. sure, John the Baptist, you know, special person in salvation history but i think the point is yeah like even a child god's spirit yep. works in them so yep. i think that we uh, can hold out this wonderful hope for those who who may not be able to hear in the sense that uh an, an adult does yeah that's not a barrier to the gracious sovereign choice of god I totally yeah. yeah nice one all right a number of questions come in about hardening which i i'm sure is no surprise <laughs> and many of them we tackle on sunday but there's still a few more to have a look at now and some great questions here really yep. really appreciate people sending these in yeah Someone says, I want to understand more of how God shows judgment. Does he simply give people over to the natural consequences of their decision? Or does he actively intervene to give them what they deserve? Or both? Or what? What would you say, Sam? Yeah, I'd say both. Um, absolutely, he gives people over to the natural consequences of their decisions. Yes, there's, there is a cause and effect nature to these things. You do X and Y happens, um, and that can be part of God's judgment. Mm. But I think it is more than that. There's an active intervention, is the language of the question, uh, that God act- actively hardens and actually um, restrains people from coming to him um, as part of his judgment on, on them for their sin. So... Um, yeah, but yeah. I think I'd say. I mean, it might be helpful to come back. I mean, you use the language of, you know, God kind of going with the grain. Mm. Like, that might make it sound like, oh, people are already kind of naturally sinful and God only kind of works in those who have already rejected him. Mm. Like, I think that teasing those things through, like, it, it's both of those things are going on there. I mean, going back to Romans 9 might be helpful. Like, yep. you know, back yep. in um, the Jacob and Esau thing, you know, mm. even before yep. the twins have been born, don't anything yep. good or bad, in yep. order that God's purpose and election might stand. Yep. The old will serve the younger. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And yeah. we talked to you two weeks ago about how that hating is this yeah. this kind of God's active, deliberate passing over and rejecting of Esau. Yep. You know, before yep. he's done anything good or bad. Yep. Um, Esau ends up growing up to be the one who despises his birthright and turns his back on God. And in yep. the end, he won't receive anything he didn't want. He yep. doesn't want God. Yep. But the thing that comes first is God's sovereign choice. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that I think that that's absolutely right. I guess in that sense, that's it depends on which perspective you're looking at it from. I guess yeah. and you're approaching it. So you've really helpfully brought us from thinking about God's eternal decree and things like you know Revelation speaks of the Lamb's Book of Life, this kind mm. of glorious picture of those whom God, from the heavenly realms perspective, has or has not chosen. Um, and um, but then I think you can also look at it from the sort of well, each person's life plays out, and, and that's actually the perspective that we live in, yeah. um, where we see things happening and we see people rejecting God and then being hardened um, in their and sort of uh, blinded and, and unable to hear the gospel. Um, and I think both both are true. Mm. Um, just yeah. depends on which perspective am I considering this issue from. Yeah. That'll come back in a couple of questions as well. Okay. Yeah, great. That thought too. Yeah, good. All right, next one. Uh, why would God harden the hearts of those who are obstinate? Mm. Wouldn't he want their hearts to be softened and then come to know him? Why does it only work that one way? Or why wouldn't he just leave them alone to their rejection and mm. not harden them? Yeah. Um, great question. Um, uh, I think there are probably a couple of things going on here. One is, um, and it's a theme that I think has been coming right throughout this section, is that um, God... People don't just find God, God chooses them. He either hardens or chooses them. And and I think that God does that so that he alone gets the glory. I mean, you think back to um, the, the illustration of, of Pharaoh. 
what if God choosing to display his glory, and that, that's what's at the heart of it all, is that God, God is making much of himself, um, which is right and good for God to do so, um, that God's purposes in election, both in saving and hardening, are so that God alone gets the glory. Um, and, and I think that that's why God does this, so that nobody could say, yeah, actually, I just worked it out on my own. Some other, God chose some, but me, I did it on my own. And God's like, no, no, the only ones who are saved are the ones that I save and I get the glory um, mm. because God doesn't share his glory with another. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's um, that's part of it. I don't know, Jack, do you want to add something here? Uh, there's so much you could say, but I think you've you've said enough for now, yeah. Okay, sure. More will come out as we keep going, yeah. Great. Next one. Okay, yep. if we are trying to evangelize someone whose heart has been hardened by God, are we working against God? Hmm. What a great question. Um, you don't I, want to work against God. You like, don't want to work against no. God. But I think the answer is no, you're not, because actually part of the purpose of preaching, um, successful preaching is what? We often think successful preaching is, is um, conversion, and it is. Mm. Praise God when that happens. Yeah. But it is just as successful when people don't respond, uh, and Jesus says to his disciples, so go and shake the dust off your feet, because now the ministry of judgment has been done, and go off and tell some others uh, where some might be saved and some might um, be hardened, but both are successful preaching outcomes. Yeah. Uh, now that's, that's often a bit challenging. We, don't, we think, no, no, success is when you win, and you just, <laughs> well, yes, it is. Um, but it is also um, sometimes uh, successful when people are hardened to the message. Uh, yeah. So you're not working against God, I don't think. And that's really important. Like God, you know, as I-55 says, God's word doesn't return to him empty. It will mm. accomplish the purpose for which he sends it forth. That's right. But God sends forth his word for those two purposes. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we were talking about this before, but the, the parable of the sower, you know, Jesus mm. teaches in parables so that, again, quoting Isaiah, some people will be ever seeing but never understanding, ever yeah. hearing but never believing. So... Jesus speaks the word deliberately so that some will be condemned by it and not respond to it in faith. And yep. that is God accomplishing his purposes yep. through the preaching of the word. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not working against God. God's no. just doing two different things. That's yeah. right. Next question. If God hardens those who are already obstinate, are the elect not also obstinate by nature? Well, this is the one, I guess, that comes back to what we were saying before. Mm. That, um, um, so I guess... Yeah, part of it depends on which angle you're looking at it from. Um, absolutely, all people all have turned away, all mm. have, um, in one sense, uh, rejected God. And so, yes, um, I think um, particularly what Paul has in mind here is Israel, mm. who not only, like the rest of us, are, are fallen creatures who've rejected God, but in this particular instance, they've actually had God's grace shown to them and had the promises made to them and the blessing of God showered upon them, and still they refuse God. Um, so not only do they sin like the rest of us, but they actually actively reject the grace of God. And, and I think that's what, what Paul uses the word obstinate for, which, uh, now at one level, we're all like that. Um, yeah. But I think that's in the context what what's going on here. So is that obstinacy? Is that like? Do you think that can still be overcome? Like, is that kind of hardened to the point of no return? Or yeah, well, and again, it depends on which point perspective yeah. you're looking at it from. So yes, there are some who, like Esau, were hardened from before the before their birth, um, mm. and and that is true. I just don't know who those people are. Yeah, um, there, there there might be others who temporarily are hardened. But actually, in in eternity, they are elect. They're just mm. not. They just haven't been brought in yet. Um, and that's. I think you're going to preach uh, the next section today, where yeah. uh, God may with Israel, and and if they don't persist in their unbelief, 
he'll graft them back into the olive bread, uh, the yeah. olive tree, and that's awesome. Um, the problem is, I just don't know which one's which. And so, mm. uh, what I, what do we do? Well, we preach the gospel to all and call all to repentance and faith, knowing that God's chosen elect will come in, and those who are not His elect won't. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so yeah. much of this comes back to God's perspective and ours, doesn't it? That's like, right. I often think that's the single key to help and unlock some of these things for us. Like, yeah. if you realize that God sees it all at once, he sees mm. it beforehand, we experience it as it unfolds, like, I think yep. that's so often that's part of the answer. Totally. Yeah. All right. Can a Christian later on become hardened? And why does that happen if initially they accepted the gospel? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think so. Yes, a Christian can become... In fact, Paul warns you... Uh, not Paul. The writer to the Hebrews warns about hardening... Um, in Hebrews chapter three, um, what, uh, Hebrews has a bunch of warnings in it, and is a is a book well worth kind of considering um, for for that very reason. Um, Hebrews chapter three, I think it's verse fifteen from top, from my memory, but I'm just flicking there quickly. Um, yeah, as it has been said today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the in the rebellion. Um, and uh, chapter three, verse twelve, see to it, uh, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage each other daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see the repetition of sin's deceitfulness in that mm. passage? What what do you, what does the writer there ultimately attribute hardening to? It's people being deceived by sin and uh, looking at sin and thinking, oh, that would be all right. I'll get it. Yeah, I'll do that. That sounds great. Um, and being little by little hardened, to the message of God as they um, persist in sin. So, yeah, be, be wary of sin. Yeah, I mean, to push a little deeper on that, like, are you saying then, you know, someone who's hmm. converted and regenerated can hmm. be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? I mean, this is the same <laughs> as the last question. I think those warnings are real. Mm. Um, otherwise, there's no point in them being warnings. Uh, I think... They are the the means by which God holds on to his elect. Mm. Um, so if you are one of God's people, hear the warning and heed it, and God and God will hang on to you as you hang on to him because you are one of his. Mm. Um, it's those perhaps who are not elect who don't heed this warning uh, yeah. and, and uh, give themselves over to sin. Um, and you can get your brain into a real tiz and a, mm. and a, a bit of a, a mess as you do that, but... The warnings are real, so heed them, and uh, and as you heed them, thank God that He's chosen you. Yeah, yeah, nice. All right, next one. Uh, if God does not harden hearts permanently, <laughs> uh, which I guess is part of what we've been saying, yeah, is predestination valid theology? Shots fired, Sam. <laughs> uh, of course, it's valid theology because it's here in the scriptures. Um, mm. So we've got to wrestle with it, and again, we just we keep wrestling with this same thing. Um, uh, and maybe to, to, to shift it a little bit, we've been talking about from whose perspective. Maybe to talk about there's capital H hardening and there's little h hardening. Maybe that's mm. another another way of, of describing it. Um, from God's eternal decree perspective, of course, those who are not elect will be capital H hardened. Mm. Uh, they won't be saved. Um, there seems to be, and you're going to come to this this week, Jack, yeah. some who for a time are hardened in unbelief but who don't persist in that and actually come back in repentance and faith perhaps they're little h hardened because mm. they are capital e elect yeah hardened for a time but yeah god's able to graft them in again yeah, yeah. we'll dig into the more of that on sunday do that this week Hang out for that. yeah all right as we near the end uh there's a few questions really helpful to land this plane uh right. get into some of the implications here uh 
One bit of a preamble and then questions. Let me read the preamble. Sam, you mentioned that people reject the word not necessarily because they haven't heard, but because their hearts are hard. Mm. I agree. However, I do think that many of the younger generation today in Australia have not really heard the gospel. To use a scriptural analogy from Judges, the first generation know God, the second generation know about God, and the next don't, and that cycles. Uh, Long intro, here's the question. Should we be preparing to share the gospel with the younger generation with the attitude that they know nothing of the true Christ? Um, sure. Uh, great question. Love the heart of it too. Um, mm. uh, I made the the point on Sunday. Just I made an aside saying um, the issue in Australia is not access to the message. Uh, I, I don't think I made the point that everybody has heard, um, but I think there's no lack of access here. Mm. Um, there's plenty of gospel witness. Um, so uh, that being said, could you argue that it's a stronger witness in the older uh, generation than the younger? Probably. Mm. Um, I, I think so. Certainly thinking from a white Anglo-Saxon point of view. Yeah. Um, but Australia is a, is a multicultural country. Uh, there are changing uh, kind of knowledge levels of, of all things Christian. So should we approach it as if they know nothing? Of course we should. Um and we should preach the gospel uh, as if to a mission field. Um, mm. But my, my point on Sunday was was more about the fact that there's there's no sense in Australia that you can say, oh, the gospel never made it to this country. It's yeah. it's here. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Paul, like, you can take multiple implications from this passage. I think, like, Paul's telling you this change of things that are necessary. Like, mm. if people are going to believe, they need to hear. That's necessary. right. So yes, go tell them. Like, yeah. if people are going to hear, people need to send. So if there aren't people there who can yeah. tell them, then. Yes, send them, necessary. Yep. Even that is not sufficient because people can hear and still reject it. They need the work of God. So prayer, necessary. Yep. God's yep. sovereign choice, the ultimate cause. Like each of those things in the chain are necessary, not enough on their own. But yes, do all of them. Mm. Every single one of them. Yes. So yes, For let's sure. preach to the younger generation. Oh, oh, let's, let's go. Let's do it. Yep. All right. Um, two questions to go. Uh, how do we explain to a non-Christian that God hardens the heart of some? Huh. Um, I don't think that is the, that's not the goal. We, we don't uh, roll out uh, and do two ways to live with, you know, um, chosen or like elect or reprobate. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I think this is a doctrine, Calvin puts it beautifully, for, uh, it's a doctrine of comfort to the elect, uh, mm. not a doctrine of evangelism. Um, so I think, how do you talk to non-Christians? You say, God holds out a free gift of eternal life to anyone who trusts in Jesus. Come trust in Jesus. Uh, for those who come and trust in Jesus, we say, praise the Lord, it's because you were chosen. Mm. If a non-Christian asks you, hey, I've heard about this doctrine of predestination, uh, mm. well, what do you do? Well, you don't pretend it's not there. Um, yeah. But I think you, you, you show them the beauty of what's here, which is all have turned away, none seek God. And so in that sense, the only ones who would ever be saved are those that God moves to choose and, and, and bring to himself because on our own, we've all rejected him. And we, so there's something wonderful about predestination that some get saved. Um, and then I'd re-emphasize, and the free gift is there for you. Do you want to be saved? Yeah. Maybe a practical thing. Like, I mean, Paul's story is probably not a bad illustration of some of these mm. things. Like there was a man who was like hardened to the gospel, right? Like, Saul, the persecutor of the church, killing Christians. Like, if anyone's hardened, it's him, right? Yep. And then he meets Jesus, and he believes the gospel, and he's saved. And I think there's a wonderful picture there that even the person who is hardened at present, mm. the, the encounter with Jesus can melt the heart of stone and give us a yeah. heart of flesh. And yeah. yeah, so tell the person who's not a Christian. I mean, that might be you now, but there's no reason it has to be you going forward. Come to Christ. Take hold of him. Live. Why would you die? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well said. All right, let's wrap it up with this one. How can we be more bold when sharing the gospel? I find it hard to open up about that that aspect of life. Yeah, great question. Um, 
we do want to be more bold. Um, interesting that they say, I find it hard to open up about that aspect of life. And I don't want to read too much into that, but Christianity is not an aspect of your life, I don't think. It's, mm. it's all of it. This is who you are, right? And yeah. so don't have you don't compartmentalize your Christianity that it's one aspect of your life and I talk about my tennis and then I talk about my Christianity like mm. uh, you are a Christian this is who you are and, and, and what God has called you to be and realizing that actually I think helps with the other part of it right because if, mm. if you think you know Christianity is this weird thing that I do on Sundays and doesn't connect to the rest of my life yeah one of the things that might help you to be more bold and is realizing well actually I'm a Christian and that shapes how I yep. go to work and that shapes how I talk to my neighbors and that shapes how I talk to my friend like if, if it shapes all of your life then it's going to be naturally more coming up in conversation all the time anyway so realizing that i think is quite crucial yeah i agree um secondly i'd say um be prepared um i find things i know more about i feel much more comfortable to speak about um, makes sense, makes sense. Uh, uh, so and peter says one peter chapter three um always be prepared to give an give a defense give an answer for the hope that you have um you know and so i take it part of you want to be bold well um be prepared um mm. think through how would i how would i answer some questions if people ask me why am i a christian how, how and, and actually maybe even if it helps you write out your answer type it out you know plan it and then learn it don't and again not to give a 30 minute monologue but mm. just to be able to speak clearly and confidently about the things that you believe do, do you know what you believe do you know what it means to be a christian do you know why you're a christian do you know what Jesus has done? Do you know that? Do you know? What I mean, can can you speak with some clarity about these things? Um, and uh, yeah, um, one one thing that might help you is to learn a simple gospel outline, uh, something like um, two ways to live or um, bridge to life, or one of those sort of things that that lays out for people. Here's the Christian message, and if you know that inside out, it won't take you too long to learn it. I don't think either. Um, uh, you could Google either of those two tracts and you'll find them both online. Um, and uh, that might help you to, um, because you might feel, hey, there's an opportunity and I've got something to say. Yeah. And off you go. Nice. Mm. Yeah. Great tip. Really helpful way to, to land that. And let me urge you again that this is what we're called to. So people need to hear. We need to preach it. That's not just from the pulpit. Each of us in the week ahead. Yeah. Let's be praying for opportunities to share Christ with people and then taking the boldness to have beautiful feet. And go oh, and do man. It. Awesome. Yeah. What a marathon we've done it, Jack. 45 minutes and we've made it. Oh, that's not too bad. There was like 27 questions or something. So I was 28, to... I think. Yeah, well done. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, yeah. yeah. Um, this coming Sunday, uh, I'll be opening up the next chunk of Romans. We're looking Woo-hoo. at uh, Romans 11, verses 11 through to 24. If you want to read ahead, that would be great. Yeah. Uh, and this is where, I mean, we've already hinted at a few of these things, aren't we? This is where we start to see the, the wonderful hope that still remains for Israel. Paul's been mm. explaining why so many of the, the Jews have not accepted the Messiah. Mm. But the wonderful thing he starts saying here is that that's not the end of the story. And uh, there's the, the beautiful truth is that God can bring them back. And uh, we're going to see how there's hope even for people who are hardened now. And one of the big things that calls us to is humility. Mm. That we who are in shouldn't look down on those who are out because we only stand by grace. And those who are currently outside the kingdom, there's no reason God can't bring them back in. So let's pray for that work to happen and be a part of seeing the gospel go out and, and don't don't look down on those who are not yet saved, but, but mm. pray that, that God would save them. That's totally. what we're going to be seeing as we come to it next week. Can't wait, mate. I'm thrilled thrilled to listen. I'm going to be listening to a sermon this week, and, uh, <laughs> and that's great. You and James Chen are up. And uh, we're going to meet Ron Earnshaw, our new, one of our new ministers who's arrived. Uh, he should be at most of the services on Sunday, so I look forward to meeting him, hearing from Jack or James, and getting stuck into some more Romans. We'll see you then. We'll see you then.